Exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. If you're visiting with us this morning, there is a sermon outline in your bulletin uh, that uh, can kind of use that to kind of follow along with the message this morning, and feel free to to fill in the blanks as we uh, as we go through this. So, um, for those that have been with us. Uh, the last several weeks we've been talking about a sermon series you see up on the screen that doesn't mean what you think it means we've been talking about a number of passages where it's com- they're commonly used but oftentimes they're not used in the way that the Bible actually intended and uh, and so we've been talking about what the what the actual um, meaning in the in the scripture is so if you have your outline we're going to start with the first point and we've made this first point now for about eight weeks so let's all say it together ready one two three Context is key. We've been saying that over and over and over again because one of the most important things with rightly interpreting the Bible is you can't go in and take a sentence and pull it out of the original context. But you have to look at the verses in front of it and the verses behind it and see, okay, what did the author intend? What is the context of the passage? And then as you understand that, you then can begin to interpret it. The passage this morning is another one of those where we're going to talk about a phrase that, um, that is quoted all the time um, out of context. You, people know that phrase and they pull it out without thinking about, okay, well, what did the psalmist actually mean when he wrote it there in, in Psalm chapter 46? The phrase we're going to talk about this morning is, be still and know that I am God. And let's talk about the way that people use it. And we're actually going to dig down here in, um, in Psalm chapter 46 and actually look uh, throughout the, the chapter at, at what um, is actually being said there. So let's talk about what people uh, use that for in most situations. This is used to encourage people to find inner peace by knowing that God is out there. This is used to encourage people to find inner peace by knowing that God is out there. So when people quote, be still and know that I am God, the context in which they normally quote it is, Let's say I'm going through a time of struggle or difficulty, and as I'm going through that time of struggle or difficulty, I am in that moment somebody said, well, you know, you need to remember, be still and know that I am God. So the idea is what I'm going to do is I'm going to quiet myself down, and I'm going to try to push out the distractions, and I'm going to be still. And within that, even though I can't see God the way I can see Bill right in front of me, I know that God is out there somewhere. And so I'm going to be still in that moment and know that out there somewhere there is God. And and I know that He's there. 
I know that He's present. And so within that, it's kind of that moment of I'm thinking of myself and the reality that I need peace. And as I think about that, I'm going to know that God is out there somewhere. Now, having said that, um, the context thing is key. There are moments when we need to do that. There are moments when I need to quiet down because I'm full of stress or work or anxiety. I need to quiet down and know that God is out there somewhere. And, and so, and we know that God is out there somewhere, right? We, we know that God is real. We know that He's attending to us. And so within that moment, there are times where I, I do need to do that. The question for us this morning is not whether or not there are times when I need to do that. The question is, is that what the psalmist meant? Is that what he was writing about? And as you get into this passage, it's really interesting because what the psalmist wrote is just about the opposite of that. Uh, and I want to unpack this passage and talk about what exactly he is getting at. So if you're in Psalm chapter 46, stay right here because we're going uh, we're gonna to unpack this for a while. Uh, what it really means is this. Stand back and watch God make war right here. Stand back and watch God make war right here. So this passage is not about me and my peace. It's about God and what He is doing in the world. We read Psalm or Jordan read Psalm 46 a moment ago. Let's go back a couple verses. Um, Psalm 46, verses 8 and 9. And, and let's look at those for a second. It says there, Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Now, we're going to unpack 4 through 6 in a moment, which gives us context to, to the fact that this is things coming up someday. But what we need to understand about verse 8 is, is that he's, he's not talking about us having inner peace and being quiet. Rather, he's talking about something that God is doing. Come and see what the Lord has done. We're talking about God's movement here. We're talking about God's action. And then he says, the desolation he has brought on the earth. So there are times where God has moved within the earth not off there hidden in heaven somewhere, but rather that God is moving on the earth. And there are times, we read the Old Testament, where He's brought destruction because Israel or another nation is doing something they shouldn't be doing. That There was sin in the world, and so God showed up and brought judgment. As you look at verse 9, it, verse 8 tells us the, that we're seeing, uh, as the psalmist is writing here, we're seeing the desolations that God has brought on the earth. And then it gives us a little context about the fact that we're talking about something that's going to happen in the future. It says, He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the, breaks the bow, I'm sorry, and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. That obviously hasn't happened yet, has it? It says, He makes wars cease. And the last time I checked, there were dozens and dozens of wars going on around the earth. We know that there are still uh, spears. We know that there are still shields. We know that there are still bows. We know that war still happens. And so the question is, what exactly is he getting at here? And the reality is he's not talking about something that has happened already, but he is predicting, the psalmist here is talking about something that's going to happen in the future. And when he's talking about that, what he's saying is there is coming a time when God is going to show up and bring judgment. 
and when he shows up, in, let's go back to 8 and let's read it through. Understand that we're talking about a future judgment. It, it, it says there, come and see what the Lord has done. In other words, pay attention to what God is up to. As this moment comes, look at what the Lord is bringing about. Look at the fact that he, at this point, is going to bring judgments on, judgment on the earth. The desolation that he has brought on the earth. There's going to be judgment on the earth in that moment. And within what he is doing, there is going to come a time in the future where the world is going to be radically different than it is now because of the judgment of God. God has come down and he will transform the world from the way that it is now into something that is new. What kind of world will it be? Look at verse 9. In that moment, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. There is coming a day where there will no longer be any wars on this earth. Not because we come a good plan and we manufacture something and we make it happen, there will come a time where there will no longer be any wars on this earth because God has come, Christ has come, He has brought judgment and as He brings judgment in that moment, there are going to be wars, the wars are going to cease because no longer will Jesus be the suffering servant who came the first time and then went back to heaven, but there is coming a time where Jesus is not coming as a suffering servant, He is coming as a conquering king. And as he comes as a conquering king, when we look at what is to come, in that moment, there is going to be judgment because the world's doing things they shouldn't be doing. The world is up to things that, that shouldn't be happening. And so, verse 8, he's going to bring those deaths. Look at what the Lord has done. He's going to bring desolation to, to the places where judgment is needed. But then, verse 9, Jesus is going to make wars Thank you. He's going to make wars cease. He's going to break the bow. He's going to shatter the spear. He's going to burn the shield with fire. Do you understand this? That, and, and it's in some of the songs that we sing, and it, it's a scriptural phrase, and we talk about the idea that Jesus is King of Kings, and that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we use that phrase as kind of a, as poetic language. But what we need to understand this morning, one of the things that we need to grasp is that as we look to the future, when the Bible says that Jesus is King of Kings, that's not just poetic language. The reality is someday Jesus is going to rule on the earth. And he is literally going to be the King of Kings. And as we look toward this time in the future that is to, that is to come, there's going to be this moment where Jesus comes and brings that judgment. He's going to cause wars to cease. He's going to cause wars to cease all the way to the ends of the earth. And all these implements of war will no longer be used anymore because Jesus has come and He has brought peace. Now, as we think about all that this morning, so we have this time in the future when Jesus shows up and He brings a transformation to our world. He is able, because of His power, to bring that about. Now, understanding all of that, now we get to verse 10. We're reading it in context. And let's understand what He is talking about here because it's completely different than what we talked about earlier. So understanding verses 8 and 9 and the reality of what Jesus is going to do someday, let's read verse 10 and then I want to explain it. Then in verse 10, it says, He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's start at the end. 
those last two phrases are really important in the understanding of everything we talked to up to this point. Remember, we're talking about Jesus coming someday uh, to the earth, that he's going to take over, he's going to rule, we're going to have a transformed world, and within that time, the end of verse 10, he is going to be exalted among the nations. He is going to be exalted in the earth. So, understanding that, what's the beginning of verse 10 mean? He says, be still and know that I am God. Remember, we talked about at the beginning, when we, when we use that phrase now, we mean, okay, I'm going to be quiet, and, and as I'm quiet, I know that God is out there somewhere. I, I'm going to concentrate on the fact that even though I can't see Him, I'm going to be still and know that I am God, and I can't see Him, but I know He's out there somewhere. No, that's not what this means. What, when Jesus, or what the psalmist says here, He says, be still and know that I am God. What He is saying is, listen, Someday I'm going to come back and I'm going to rule and I'm going to be king of kings and I'm going to be lord of lords. I'm going to be in charge and it's going to be a world where wars are going to cease and the implements of wars are going to be thrown away and I'm going to transform the world. And for all that you think about how much it depends on me and how important I am and how I make the world turn around, in that moment as you see me come back and do all those things, the only thing that you're going to need to do is stand back and shut up, and be still, and know that I am God. In that moment, this has nothing to do with, well, I can't see God, and so I, you know, I know He's out. No, in this moment, you can see Jesus Christ. You can see Him as He comes and as He rules. And so verse 10 is not saying, oh, you know, you can't see Him anywhere, but I guess He's out there somewhere. The saying is, Jesus Christ has come. He is ruling on the earth. We know that He is there. He is Lord, and your only job is to be still and know that He is God. And so we need to understand what He is getting at here because it's radically different than the way that we normally interpret it. Now let's go back to verse four because I, I want to look. At, I want you to keep your finger here, and then I also want to flip over. Um, let's go all the way to the end of the Bible. Keep your finger here because I want to go back and forth. Psalm 46. And then go all the way over to Revelation 21 and 22. Now, some of you all are sitting there, you're listening to me, and you're like, okay, I, I understand. How do you know for sure, Jim, that this is talking about stuff that's going to happen at the end of, of the world? Well, Psalm um, 46 here, verses 4 through 6, say some really interesting phrases that point us straight toward Revelation 21 and 22. And these are prophetic phrases where he, he's bringing out ideas that no one would have had in their own mind an idea of back then, but through the Holy Spirit guiding the psalmist, he is writing things that he wasn't even fully understanding that point us to what John is going to write centuries later in Revelation 21 and 22 about what is to come. Now, I want to go back and forth. Before I do that, I, I need to pause for a second. And, and those of you that are here on a regular basis, this is not new to you. But for, for those that, that aren't, I, I need to say a little something before we get to this. So there is a general idea, and if you've been to funerals, the preachers are, are bad about making it sound this way, about, you know, well, when you're a believer, when Christians die, you go to heaven and we spend forever in heaven. And that's not biblically accurate because the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, are not happening in heaven. 
but rather it talks about there is a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And so as it talks about that, it's about Jesus not only redeeming us individually, but Jesus intends to redeem the world. The, the, the planet that we live on, the universe that we live on, all of which is fallen. And so as you look at Revelation 21 and and I would really encourage you, if, if what I just said is news to you, to go back later and read Revelation 21 and 22 as a whole, because it's fascinating in what he says. But what I want to look at right now is as, as we talk about Revelation 22, 21 and 22 in what is to come and the reality of, um, of the world that Jesus intends to make, we go back to Psalm 46, and there are phrases in Psalm 46 that point directly to Revelation 21 and 22, which helps us to know they're making a connection here between what the psalmist is saying, be still and know that I am God, means, and what John writes centuries later is our eternal destiny. Let's look, um, I'm going to look at three or four of the phrases. So in, in um, Psalm 46, Keep both these open. We're going to flip back and forth. So in Psalm 46, um, in verse 4, it says, we'll just take this in part. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Let's just start with the phrase, the river. All right? Keep your finger here. Flip over to Revelation chapter 22. Now, 21 and 22 are about the New Jerusalem and about this, this city that God has created. Uh, when Jesus said in John chapter 14, go to prepare a place for you, he was talking about the New Jerusalem. And in Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then the angel showed me the what? Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of that great of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. So we start there in the first thing that's mentioned in verse four, there is a river. And then we look over to Revelation twenty one and twenty two and one of the most prominent features of the, uh, the New Jerusalem is that we have this river flowing. Secondly, in going back to Psalm 46 and verse 4, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad, here's the next phrase, the city of God. Going back over to Revelation chapter, let's go to 21 now. It was talking in Psalm 46 about the city of God. In Psalm, I'm sorry, in Revelation 21 and verse 2, it says, I saw the holy city, coming, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Hopping down to verse 10, also in Revelation 21. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me, here it is again, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. From God. So we have this reference in Psalm 46 to the city of God, and then as we go over to Revelation 21 and 22, the New Jerusalem is called the city of God. Just one more example, going back to Psalm chapter 46, it says, um, continuing, it says in verse 4, the holy place where the most 
I dwell. God is within her. Hopping back over to Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Hopping down to chapter 22 and verse 1. The angel showed me the, the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Going down to verse 3. There no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants the servants. So as we go back to Psalm chapter 46 and look at verse 4, 5, and 6, there is a river, and there's a river reference over there, that whose streams make glad the city of God. There's a city of God mentioned over there. The holy place where the Most High dwells. It tells us that God dwells there. God is within her. It tells us that God is within that city. And so as we add all that up, we have the psalmist writing hundreds of years before these details he didn't even fully understand that point us to this time after Jesus comes and, and His kingdom upon the earth that we have the new earth, the new heaven, and the new Jerusalem. All of that bringing to fruition what we read at the beginning in Psalm 46, verse 8. 9 and 10. Let's read it one more time and understand what all it means. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations He has brought on the earth. He's going to bring that judgment. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted. All of that comes together. Not right now for you to be quiet and know that God is out there somewhere, but that someday we will see Jesus Christ come upon the earth and He will be He will be Now, how do we respond to that? That's the last thing. How do we respond to that? And the answer is this. We can't choose the result, but we do get to choose our response to it. We can't choose the result, but we do get to choose our response to it. Let's look back at verse 10 for a second. So, you say, well, Jim, what if I don't like this? I mean, what if I, I don't like the reality, you know, maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, and you're like, I, I don't like that idea that Jesus is coming back someday and He's going to set that up. And the reality this morning is this. We don't get a choice. Like, Jesus is coming back someday, whether we want Him to or not. Jesus is going to set up His kingdom whether we want Him to or not. And so the choice that we get to make is how we're going to respond to it. Do I want... There's a place over in in um, in the New Testament where, uh, where Paul writes that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The choice that we have is that we can do that someday when Jesus is in front of us and we don't have a choice. Or this morning, I choose to say Jesus is Lord because He is Lord of my heart and I want Him in my life. And so as you look at Psalm 46 and verse 10, we read a moment ago, let's look at the end again, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. 
The second half is our question this morning. He says in that day that is to come, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That day is coming when that is going to happen. The question for us this morning is, am I going to wait till I'm forced to do that? Or do I choose today to exalt Jesus among the nations? Do I choose today to exalt Jesus in the earth and to say, He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I love what He did for me. I love the fact that He died for me on the cross. I love the fact that He's coming in and given the love of God in my life. And I want all that I can get of Him now because I know that Jesus is the most loving, good, and righteous being who has ever existed. And I want Him in my life. The question this morning is, do we choose later or do we choose now? Do we choose to bow when it's a necessity or do we choose to bow now when we can be saved, when we can be transformed, when we can become followers of Jesus?